Hello, uh, welcome to the latest edition of the Selection Show. I'm Ian Heath, the news editor at Citywide Selector. I'm joined today by Chris Reed of Iguana Investments. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks, lovely to be here, thank you. Chris, last time I spoke to you, we had quite an interesting discussion um, because you took a couple of years out of the um, investment management industry and I asked you, you know, how things had changed during that time. And what you mentioned to me, or what you said to me, the biggest change was, um, was how um, retail investment well, retail investing is affecting share prices, fund flows, and this value investing is not quite the same. Um, I was wondering, could you just tell me more about that and you know how much of a change you think there has been in recent years in that regard? Yes, uh, absolutely. So I think as a sort of value investor, I noticed uh, you know five, even seven years ago that share prices weren't really you know, moving as, as they sort of used to back in the kind of good old days, because I've been doing investing for, you know, nearly 20 yeah. years. And yeah, we really sort of nailed it down to, I think, primarily retail flows. And I think there's just been really three big changes on, on the retail flow side. Firstly, you've got this, um, you know, thing where people really go for indexes and passive investing. So mm. that sort of emphasizes the size factor over value investing. You've also got um, th theme investing. Mm -hmm. So so investors will put money behind that. So of course you saw there was a big bubble, if you like, in the market earlier this year with AI. Yeah. And, and then also single stock options as well, which is a, a sort of a relatively new innovation yeah. where people sort of bet on big on a stock that that's also produced i think quite wild swings in share prices okay and is that things like um gamestop and amc yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah 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 and you're seeing that across the market and in fact it's coming into europe recently as well so that increases i think volatility as well okay sure okay so you set up this new boutique last year guano investments you set up a long short fund um you know, we've got a choppery environment, perhaps that's the reason why you did that. So how are you adapting to this kind of new environment? What lessons have you had to learn? And um, how, do you, how has value investing changed during, the, during this, this period that you've been out of the business? Yeah, well, I think value investing in some ways, you, I don't want to say it was easier back in the day, but, but really the, the, what you tend to do as a value investor was buy a stock that was cheap and had you know maybe slightly better long-term prospects than the market thought yeah. and, and just wait really for the market to reprice it. To reprice it. So the, the problem with that sort of approach, and, and indeed I was doing this sort of five, five years ago, although it works in the very long term, you know, it, in the very short term, all these other sort of influences, uh, you know, with flows, et cetera, can, can just make things much worse for you, much, much worse. So what we tried to do was sort of, you know, work out really uh, a way of trying to sort of take the, if you like, the the sort of the value trap aspect out of value investing. And we, we, we did that by trying to understand what groups of investors that were looking at the stock were, were, were really looking for. So, you know, if, if, if an investor was looking for sort of growth, you know, was the company delivering that? And, and, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it in more detail, but to do that, really, you have to kind of understand individual share prices. So just like a sort of some of your listeners would understand that decompose the sort of investment portfolio into the factors that are driving it, we, we want to do exactly the same and sort of X-ray a share price to work out what sort of behavioral factors 
are, are driving that share price. And then that helps us sort of, if you like, shine a bit of a, a light on uh, whether that stock is, is going to be, you know, make money for us in value investing. Okay, that's very interesting. So, so what sort of techniques are you using to do this? I mean, how do you break down, you know, the share price in this kind of new area that we're discussing? Yeah, so it, it was quite a change for me, to, to be honest, Ian, because, uh, you know, being in the market for 20 years, some of these things hadn't really even been invented, to be honest, when I was at university. So that's part of the reason why I took a year or two out to, to just sort of understand how to how to do it. Um, and we've got a good team behind us because it takes a couple of people. But basically, the, the principles are fairly simple. Uh, what you're trying to do really, as I said, is decompose the share price into these sort of factors that are driving it. Um, but the way you do it, because you're looking at an individual share price, it's really a sort of a, a, a econometrics and looking at the correlations in a sh- in, 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 on what's driving an individual share price. So, you know, it's really very simple at the end of the day, the results, because you can see, okay, this share price, let's take Tesla. There's mm. maybe six or seven groups of investors, all with different agendas that are trying to kind of, that, that, that are... You know that, and the reason why they are investing in Tesla is because of their certain agenda. Maybe some people like growth. Maybe some people just think he's a long-term genius. Maybe some people like you know want to see cash flow improve. So what this does is it kind of shines a light on that using this sort of uh, correlation approach and and sort of identifies those groups of investors. And then that really helps us because then if we if we know which what the what investors are in the stock and what they're looking for then we can go back and use classic value investing principles you know to to understand whether the company's going to deliver for those investors so that's really all we're trying to do okay that's very interesting um okay have you got any kind of examples of this which have worked so far Yes, well, I mean, it's for us. Uh, I think we're, we're really only scratching the surface on on this yeah. technique. You know, we've only been doing it for two, three years. Yeah, we have a clear way. So, so I think you have to approach these things with humility. All you're trying to do is 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 sort of increase the probability that that you're correct. But uh, and sometimes we get it wrong as well. But yeah, I think the two things we'd say is. Uh, you know, a good example for us recently is uh, the UK company Babcock. So this is a company that right. was for a long term, it, it's a defense supplier uh, to the government. And for a long time, it was really, uh, you know, on its back, big balance sheet problems, a classic sort of value investing type opportunity mm. where, you know, you're, you've got a sort of fundamentally sound business that needs to turn around. And we used our sort of techniques to identify what the company had to do to, to sort of, you know, get back on investors' radar screens, one of them being to dispose of unprofitable businesses, mm. focus on margins, and then another one being to sort of start generating cash. And, you know, having identified those, uh, we, we sort of then did the fundamental analysis. And, you know, really the company's almost, it, it looked like it's coming back from the dead, but really that's been a sort of a two-year process for them. And, you know, this technique's just really helped us shine a light on when to invest on it and mm. and how much. So that's kind of one, you know, we, we did okay on. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's plenty that we've, we've, we've maybe missed. So uh, I think you, you do have to, if you can't just look at the, the share prices and and you know invest 
with without any idea what's going on in the business. So, you know, one that we maybe got wrong was uh, we, we probably spent too much time looking at the share price behavior and and with a company called Alstom recently and, and then missed the fact that there was, uh, you know, a sort of a, a bigger balance sheet problem in the business than our analysis had actually expected. So it's not perfect, but it definitely has helped us sort of, you know, increase the chances of making those successful investments. Okay. Uh, has this, um, you know, um, bigger role that um, Funflow plays in value investing, has that affected the kind of time horizons of how you do things? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I think because it's not just retail investors as as well uh, that are sort of, you know, putting the flows in. There's also, you know, things like the commodity trading, CTA, guys who who trade off algorithms. So so it, it, it really sometimes uh, things get pulled forward much mm. faster than you'd expect. So I, th- I think I'm sure we all know about this. For example, last year, the, the US stock market, you know, decided round about the, the start of uh, the final quarter last year to, to price in, you know, uh, wonderful Nirvana, Goldilocks, rates of peaked inflation's coming down. Let's let's all buy stocks. Mm. And so that we think was driven by, you know, a lot of the sort of shorter term participants in the market, not necessarily the retail guys, but the CTA guys. Mm. And of course now what we're seeing maybe is that that, you know, a year premature starting to reverse. So so one half of it can really pull the timescales much more forward than you you know we used to think. And and so you have to kind of really be tomorrow happens today much yeah. quicker in the markets and then the other side is actually which is much more relevant to us as value investors sometimes it just takes far longer for companies to to become to come back on investors radar screens and and that's a, a massive opportunity actually because you'll often see because the the, the companies have to do so much heavy list, lifting to get back on investor radar screens uh, often the value sort of is sitting there in plain sight and, mm. and whereas sort of maybe 20 years ago, lots of people would be trying to ca- chase the value. So actually, that's what I think makes it really good for value investors, that the fact that you, you, you almost have this sort of value lying there in plain sight because investors just, their, their gaze is at the tech sector in the US, you know, their gaze is on like safe, defensive companies in Europe and UK. So actually, the, you, you can almost walk over there and pick it up and... and um, you know, nobody else is competing with you. So that's the exciting side. But like I said, it also makes it challenging because things are happening so fast uh, on on the sort of overall market flows. That's so interesting. Um, I mean, and we could just drill down a little bit. You, you, you mentioned you kind of look at these kind of behavioral aspects. So what are the kind of triggers that you have there? Like, um, you know, what, what are signals for you? And um, what, maybe what, tell us a little bit about what kind of behaviors you look for. Yes. Well, well, I think it's, for us, it's very much a case of, looking at each individual stock and trying to think to ourselves, right, what are investors looking for in this company? Yeah. So for us, what we look for is, is like, shall we say, a couple of groups of investors, no more than one or two. Mm-hmm. So a dream stock for us is where you can look at the share price, use this sort of econometrics, mathematical modeling approach, and identify that investors are focused on cash flow improvement. So, you know, you want really just one thing to come out of that cash flow improvement. Mm. And then if we then look at the company and do the sort of classic fundamental research and the company is really focused on cash flow improvement and it's cheap, okay. then it's really easy because <clears throat> you can you can tell 
pretty much straight away that that's going to reprice the stock. Mm. So that that's a kind of a dream for us. Um, and and there are sort of particularly actually the larger stocks, uh, and surprisingly even in the US. The, the more efficient market, often you will get one or two simple factors that drive the shares. Um, and then difficult stocks for us, which we tend to avoid, are ones where you the, the, the technique identifies many different groups of participants. And, and that can be quite hard because you don't really know which one of those groups is, is driving the share price. So, so those kind of stocks are much harder. And they're often the, the classic sort of stocks that are in the headlines. Yeah. You know, I mentioned Tesla. Yes. Google, the, these sort of very big sort of high profile names, uh, they're the ones often where you, you see multiple groups of investors. And so we tend to shy away from those type of stocks because, you know, it's just very difficult for us to, to as value investors, to have any sort of edge when you've got a huge chorus of people who are driving the share price. Okay, that's interesting. Um, it's probably worth mentioning to uh, listeners of this podcast that um, d- during your time out from the industry, you spent a little bit of time in the educational sphere. You went back to um, business school at, at Cambridge. Yes. And um, you know, sort of brought yourself up to date on the investment world. Um, so that can lead me to ask, you know, do, do you feel that the educational world is kind of up to speed on these processes or is there some maybe some sort of catching up to do? Because we, we know all these business schools, et cetera, they um, they're quite often have all these <laughs> techniques for investing. Do you, do, do you think they're, they're just not, not quite there yet with um, this new world that we're talking about? <laughs> yes. Well, I think, I think it, it depends obviously uh, on the, uh, you know the particular education side, but but yeah, I think I think there's definitely room for for improvement in this um, for for all of us and uh, on the education side because I think if you look at how the industry has 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 moved in the last twenty years, there's been a big emphasis on you know uh, shall we say sort of top down analysis of stocks, so the sort of mm. the, the CFA technique and. What that's driven, so really that means, you know, you're looking for a good end market, an attractive, large market, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of driven everybody one way. And so this sort of emphasis on sort of bottom well, just, up factors, just, just to interject, I mean, you yes. say that's just because of, it, because of the way the environment's been. We've had this kind of very macro climate where, you know, low interest rates, low inflation, that's kind of... Well, yeah, not so, to be honest, not so much. It's more that I think people are taught that way. So right. you, know, you go and you do a CFA course, you yep. know, Chartered Financial course and and the, the focus is really on an efficient market right and therefore the only way to beat it is to look for interesting growth opportunities yeah i mean i'm being a little bit unfair but that's basically what most people are are sort of it's drummed into them and of course but you are right that really the reason why they're saying they're doing that is because we've had 20 years where the low interest rates has kind of driven those sort of factors yeah. but i think the problem is uh you know if, if then the world changes, and of course it has sort of changed, mm. then these sort of top-down approaches to education leave people a little bit, you know, shall we say naked, because they don't, they've never really looked bottom-up. So they're looking for the next macro theme. So of course that drives you to the same stocks as everyone else, yeah, yeah. you know. And then okay. if you can't do the big macro themes, then, uh, you know, then, then you're back to sort of, you know, the core skills that, you know, the, the people learned 20, 30, 40 years ago. And, and you know, I think... Uh, You've got to augment them with a little bit more sort of, uh, you know, modeling and econometric analysis, which kind of I learned. And then that will make you a better investor. So, so yeah, I think there is definitely room to improve on on the education side. Okay, sure. Okay. Um, 
Let's talk a little bit about um, a little bit more about your time out and your sort of re-entry um, into the investment management world. Um, we've spoken about what you thought was the biggest change, which is um, you know the impact of retail investment, this, this fund flow side of things. What other major changes uh, do you feel there's kind of been in the industry, um, or the, or did you see? During that period, yeah. Well, for me, I mean, as you you can see, you're you know, I'm no spring chicken, really. So, so it was quite a it was quite a good challenge after sort of twenty years investment to go back to. I went back to university for a year and studied with people, you know, twenty twenty five years younger than me, and uh, you, you know, it was really quite a, a humbling and and really good experience. And I, I think, I mean, there's lots of things that have changed that have, you guys will all know about, you know, deglobalization, et cetera. I think they've all kicked off in the last few years. But from the financial markets perspective, I think as well as the whole drive to, uh, should we say, index investing and flows, probably the biggest one for me was the, the ESG side. And just when I went back to university and, and saw the sort of focus that the younger generation has on that and and their real sort of desire for for you know changes in the world that was quite a big sort of epiphany shall we say for me and oh, really? although the actual ESG itself has had a you know maybe you can argue about how it's implemented etc but i think as a having that sort of social utility that that's i think going to be a, a rising theme and is, is that sort of thing just much more enshrined in the education itself as well, not just the, um, you know, actually people yes. who attend? Yeah. yeah, well, I think it's, I mean, anyone with kids will know, but but I think it's just uh, they're, they're more aware of it. it. They see it all the time. It gets taught more explicitly, whereas we as adults have had to discover it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no sort of debate about it when you see the sort of, uh, the, the, when you get a lecture on it from from sort of a, you know, university academic, the, the facts seem pretty clear. So, so yeah, it's, it's really all of that. And I think it's it's not necessarily implemented in the right way today. And, you know, a lot of the really good sort of investors of the past 20, 30 years thought about sort of sustainability of their business anyway. Mm. But but as a theme, that was a real eye opener to me, uh, definitely over the past few years. OK. And Sundam, you, you took a bit a bit, a bit of time out as well, didn't you? I think you did a yacht trip or something. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sailed across the Atlantic. Um, on a, on a large yacht with uh, training. It was, very, it was very like the army. That was great fun. That was good for me. Like, like the army? But almost like the army, yes. Uh, Clipper Adventures, and they train you up. Yeah, very disciplined, uh, 20 people on the boat, uh, very rough weather. So that was quite good for someone like me to, to, to get some discipline again after 20 years. Of <laughs> I wanted. Oh, was it much needed? <laughs> yeah, much needed discipline, yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, can you tell me, I mean, what kind of value do you feel that um, period um, out gave you, like, you know, the educational and, you know, kind of doing other things? And um, has there actually been any challenges kind of reintegrating yourself after a bit of time out? Yeah, well, I think that the value that there's there has been challenges, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. Uh, but but for me personally, it was great because I think that the difficulty is in today's market to be a good value investor, you're having to sort of, you know, put together experience of markets, which I kind of had for 20 years. But you're trying to you have to put that experience together with sort of knowledge of, you know, modern modeling techniques, etc. You can't just get somebody to do it for you it, it, it you need to go through it yourself and, and put the two together yourself i think so that's what it gave mm. me that skill and also a, a better perspective i think it was good for me you're you're on the sort of the financial rat race a little bit 
uh, just to step back and understand new business models that maybe I hadn't been exposed to out mm. there. Um, so, so those are the kind of the good things. And it also gives you sort of, I think, energy to go again, which I think is really important at the moment. The last thing you want is a sort of a tired fund manager, whereas you want someone who's raring to go. Um, well, it sounds but, like you had quite an active period out, yeah. but as they say, a change is as good as a rest. Change, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think everybody probably listening to this feels the same. You, active change is the way forward. Um, but yeah, I think challenges are, are definitely there. So for right. me, um, it, it's certainly coming back to the industry after uh, after a an absence. The, the sheer pace of it, really, uh, I had to get back up to speed with. I, I mean, we all kind of follow the financial markets, mm. but but it's almost once you stop sort of drinking from that fire hydrant, you, you kind of have to, and go back to sort of normal life, you've got to go through a sort of an acceleration phase when you come back mm. in. And and I, I wouldn't underestimate to, to, to all of us sort of how... Uh, how sort of stimulating it is and but how much the pace that we're looking at the financial world is for us because I think it does just just being able to participate in the markets and understand it develops you so that was a bit of a a, a change for me was just getting back on getting back to speed you know um, and do you think it's quicker than it was in the past well <laughs> I, th- I think yeah it feels quicker and I think that the challenge is to de- definitely I, I think again just the financial markets you, you're and we talked about the flows before I think this is because of the flows and the participants as well you've almost got a greater concentration of participants so a narrative can take mm. hold very quickly much faster than I think it used to because it only has to convince a few groups of participants and because everyone's getting the same amount of information that you know that narrative can really if you think about the AI thing yeah. this year you know suddenly it went from Oh, AI, we all kind of know about it to bang, you know, it's all these prices are doubling in, in a period of well, days. Well, you've got that quick uptake from social media as well, haven't social, you? You're exactly right. Social media. Yeah. yeah. And everyone's got the same information. So, so that was, that's a real challenge. It's a really interesting challenge. And then you have to sort of be no one to ignore what's happening as well. And, and that, I suppose, is a classic skill where you, you, you know, the narrative might take hold, but you know, it's wrong. Mm. And so you then have to hold that sort of, knowledge that it's wrong and yeah. try not to get influenced and there's that potential maybe it's not suitable for your investment style as well y- yes exactly you've got to stick to what you do i think that's another that's a great point i think for, uh, that's something that we've really focused on doing as well uh, it's it's important to just be clear what you're trying to do you can't sort of solve the world you can't you don't even need to understand all the world you just have to focus on you know delivering value for your clients and your niche but, you know, as we said, that requires knowledge of a lot of things to even have a chance of doing that. So it's a great environment. I think we're very lucky in the financial markets. Uh, but, yeah, taking some time out was useful for me. And, uh, you know, get get those skills, learn those skills uh, of understanding share prices. And, and uh, you know, the more sort of mathematical modeling you can do, the better, really. Okay, good stuff. Um, okay, so you launched Iguana 18 months ago, I think. Um, yes, pretty much, yes. yes. Pretty much last year. Um, and um, Boutique. Um, so have you found it um, kind of going alone, setting up your own business? Because, um, you know, it's, I suppose it's a little bit different to, to working for someone, isn't it? Has there been any challenges with that? And um, how are you enjoying it on the whole? Yes. Well, I, well, I think, I mean, I mean, I have huge respect now for anyone who tries a business, whether successful or not. I mean, even, you know, running an ice cream van, I mean, hats off to them because it's just it's just such a leap. And uh, so that's been for me really a real challenge. And, you know, there's five of us. So we've we've all kind of worked together. But 
absolutely. I, I think that the good side is that you, you have this sort of ability to take best of breed where you find it uh, and and put them all together. That That's a wonderful sort of privilege that we've got today. What do you mean in terms of staff? Uh, well, not not some well staff, of course, but but sort of systems. So you can right. you, you're not locked into one huge sort of shall we say mainframe system mm. or whatever. You can take a sort of one of these startup systems from here that maybe is really good at you know understanding share prices. Take you know Bloomberg or Reuters for financial information, bolt them all together, mm. uh, and and of course on the operation side the same thing. There's lots of solutions. So so it's it's possible to sort of take all the potentials potential sort of uh, suppliers out there and bolt them together yeah. in a really exciting way, which I think was probably not not even available to people maybe even 10 years ago. So that was a wonderful sort of benefit. But but as I said, you know, it's not all easy. It's, it's There are high buyers to entry in the industry. I think you have to sort of investors quite rightly expect, you know, uh, really best, best of breed from yourselves otherwise why mm. should they bother with you when they've got you know black rock etc so you, you there's a very high standard out there so that was the, uh, and and we have to we have to really there's no sort of tolerance for startups to be less good than anyone else they must be better uh, so that was a bit of a challenge but you know it was, it was very stimulating oh that's interesting because they usually say the the first year is the most difficult for a lot of companies if you so you're saying you've got to kind of hit the ground running really yes yeah no absolutely i think in this in this environment you you yeah we took we took our time before setting it up properly because we really wanted to yeah. be there from day one uh, you you can't sort of you know it's not a, it's not a sort of it's not an environment where you can fail fast and innovate you know you have to you have to try and be as good as you can from day one so that was uh, and that, i think that's good discipline you know for for all of us for for me uh, and and you know on the regulatory side uh, setting things up we we were positively surprised actually uh, i mean it was it's tough you know you have to give the regulators the questions but they're also pretty fair yeah. So actually, that was a, a sort of a, a positive surprise. You know, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't, the, you know, it wasn't sort of impossible. You know, they would give yeah. you a hearing at least, which is the all you need, really. Okay. Um, any future plans you could tell us about at this stage? Any fun launches in the pipeline uh, or anything? No, for us, I think we we nothing nothing planned at all. We we just need to get our heads down and deliver a decent track record, and you know, cope with markets and make money. So we we haven't got any sort of short term plans. No, just uh, hunker down like everybody else and. And uh, you know, try and make sure we 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 stay on top of what's going on. Really, okay. we've been kept busy enough right now. Okay. Yes, good stuff. Well, best of luck with everything, Chris. Thanks for popping in today. It's been great speaking to you. Thanks, appreciate it. All the best. Cheers. Cheers.